am Tabi Gwiji. Welcome to SABC News' 15th episode of the podcast series in first person, where we capture first-hand accounts of traumatic experiences and the often challenging journey to survival. In first person, the journey from trauma to survival. Domestic Violence Act 116 of 1998 defines domestic violence as a physical, sexual, verbal, psychological and economic abuse. Coming up. It all started when I was seven, eight years old. My uncle used to rape me daily for a year. Then my stepfather did it because she would come back drunk and it was late in the, you know, late at night, about around 3, 4 a.m. And start with me in my room and and sleep with me before she goes to, he goes to his room with my mom. Born, I had a blood transfusion. Now, during that blood transfusion, unfortunately, it was contaminated. And I became more angry now. In this episode, we tell the story of Grace Motsebe, who suffered sexual abuse at the hands of her uncle, stepdad, and later contracted HIV through a blood transfusion. SA statistics from 2015 to 2018 indicate that 41% of all reported rape cases involved children. According to the report by the United Nations Office on Crimes and Drugs for period 1998 to 2000, South Africa was ranked first for rapes per capita. In 1998, one in three of 4,000 women questioned in Johannesburg had been raped, according to Community Information Empowerment and Transparency Africa. Women's groups in South Africa estimate that a woman is raped every 26 seconds, while the South African police estimate that a woman is raped every 36 seconds. It all started when I was seven, eight years old. I can't remember when is it. But uh, the rape started then when I was staying with my paternal my family. My uncle used to rape me daily for a year. Um, I was staying with my 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 family from my father's side. My parents were not around. My mother was staying with her boyfriend. My father was married to another woman. Now, I was staying with with his cousins, my father's cousins. So I was staying with uh, my grandmother, my grandfather, my aunts, two aunts, two uncles, and the first uncle was the one who was doing the ditch. And my aunt knew about it, but she never said anything. We never talked about it. And she she was just quiet. She pretended as if nothing is happening. But one day she decided that she's going to tell my father. And my uncle said, I'm going to kill you if you do that. And I'm going to kill. According to Mobiji, a culture of silence and staying out of it in South Africa means that too many children suffer alone and often fatally. We've all heard the sounds of a child screaming. 
But what do you do if you seriously suspected that your neighbor or relative's child was being abused, or your child's friend for that matter? Abuse and neglect are the main cause of injury to children in the country. More children die of abuse and neglect than natural causes. Most abuse happens in a child's home and the perpetrator is someone known to them. My father wasn't away. My father was never around. He used to come there just to bring food and money only and he would go away. For 15-20 minutes he was there. I would just cling to him and he would, he would never, you know, identify or just recognize that the, my, maybe there's something wrong because when he comes there, I used to cry a lot, saying that I want to go with him. After a year, I had to go back to my granny because my granny was now back from, was working uh, as a domestic worker at Tlaxdop. Now she came back and she stayed, she didn't have to work anymore, so she stayed around, then I had to stay with my grandmother. But unfortunately, it was a short term because during that time when my granny was around, my, my stepfather got married to my mother and they stayed in deep roof extension. You know, those posh houses, then you want to be associated with them. So I had to go and stay with my mother. Because, mm. you know, as a child, you, you wish for luxury and everything. Mm. You know, being in a bath and, you, you know, you don't have to wash in a dish. Then you, you wash in a bath or a shower. So those were, were the exciting part of it. Then I had to move with my mother. And while I was staying with my mother, my stepfather did it. And my father, it was daily. Well, not daily, actually. It was once, twice a week. Because she would come back drunk. And it was late in the you know, late at night, about around 3, 4 a.m. And start with me in my room. We've got different rooms. Maybe that was the part that I enjoyed to stay with my mom because I had my own bedroom. And my father would start there and sleep with me before she goes to, he goes to his room with my mom. The Child Maltreatment Journal states that child abuse or child maltreatment is physical, sexual, or psychological maltreatment or neglect of a child or children, especially by a parent or a caregiver. Child abuse may include any act or failure to act by a parent or a caregiver that results in actual or potential harm to a child and can occur in a child's home. According to me, I, I would say my mom was aware, but she was afraid to talk. She was afraid to say something because that man was very bully. He is a bully man. He is, you know, that man who, who would take no nonsense for breakfast. I never said anything to my mom. I just kept quiet. But you know, as a child, you become reserved of some issues in the house. And my neighbor, the lady that was just next to us, would always say, why are you always in the house? Why don't you play with other kids? Then I had to disclose to my, to my neighbor. And my neighbor said, we need to report this. And before we can report, we said, she, she suggested that I talk to my, we talk to the, my uncle and my granny. But unfortunately, it didn't go that way because they said, no, 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 no. You just want to break the marriage for your mother. You're just naughty, you're a liar. You are, nobody believed me. I used to walk 15, 20 minutes to school. But my, my siblings were attending just around the corner. They used to drive them there. So those are the things that, you know, that, that disturbed me. 
I used to wake up early to, to prepare them to go to school and then I had to walk 20 minutes to school. And in the afternoon as well, I would rush home so that I could take care of my, my younger brothers, my siblings, because my mom was sick. My father was beating my mom as, as often as, you know, as I can think of. My mom used to have bruises like daily and my younger brother was like three months and I had to make sure that he got, got clean nappies. We used to do use nappies of black label, not this Kimbis for today. Black labels, washing them, putting them there, cleaning, preparing lunch, supper for my mom, because at times it was so terrible that she couldn't even, you know, do anything or bath herself. Grace decided to put her energy and anger into making her life a success and found that to be very therapeutic. I was a intelligent and bright and I had to I work harder. That's why I got the buzzer for, you know, star school, a maths and science student who I taken from any school and sent to university. That's where I got my buzzer. I went to vets. I studied at vets. After three years, I couldn't maintain the, the buzzer because of uh, when you reach the, the, the stage where you, you are in university and there's no control and you've got this anger. I was just a wild child, and I lost the buzzer due to, to my negligence, I could say, because uh, uh, my, my, my performance went down. I was free, remember, and I started to, to see boys and go out and do what, one, two, three. So I didn't fail, but I lost the buzzer because they wanted a certain percentage for you to sustain that buzzer. But I lost it, and... My parents couldn't pay anything for me, so I had to go back home and start all over again and think what strategize again. What should I do? Then I got a, a position at Hope Worldwide as a as a counselor, but I didn't have qualifications. So I started at the bottom, and then I worked myself up to to being a full blown counselor and doing the door to door uh, uh, dotting. They call it dotted by then when we did give people medication. So I went there and that's where my passion started. Then I started at UNISA to become a social worker, professional one with the psychology and all the, the, the social work auxiliary. And I moved from there, become a psychologist. And then that's where I started working in the community, in my community and assisting them. Okay. I could say that I was, I was very angry. I was defying any, everything that they were saying. I, uh, and I couldn't talk. There's one thing that you, when you're talkative, you can say anything. With me, I was very quiet. And when they say, do this, I would do it. Um, I was afraid as well to say something. I can't say no to my parents. I can't answer back to my parents. If they say something, I would say yes. I did overcome my anger when I started uh, adversity because I saw myself in so many things that they were saying. You know, it was me. And they say, you get healing from one, two, three. That's when I started to, to understand, but this wasn't right. Then I associated myself with some of the things that I was dealing with. And then I finished that, and then I went to, to the environment, the community, and dealing with people who are being abused, raped, uh, you know, molested, harassed. That's when I said to them, you need to get out of this. I could easily tell a person that, the minute the person opened up 
her mouth and say, I'm in an abuse of this and this is happening. I said, get out. That's me. It was very therapeutic for me. In South Africa, one in five women experience physical violence by a partner, according to Statistics SA. Moreover, SA has some of the highest rates of gender-based violence and femicide in the world, as revealed by the Songe Gender Justice. The femicide rate is reportedly almost five times the global average. According to divorcelaws.co.za, some studies have shown that women who assault their male partners are more likely to avoid arrest even when the male victim contacts the police. Another study concluded that female perpetrators are viewed by law enforcement as the victims rather than the actual offenders of violence against men. Um, I had my first kids uh, with my first, with their father, but I moved on from that marriage just because it didn't work out. Um, I think most of the, of the time when I say it didn't work out, it was me who was angry towards men. The second one, that person was very abusive. Uh, I have learned to fight back as well. And to an extent I say to myself, you know what, one day I'll kill this man. Let me move out because whenever he's trying to beat me, I'll take double that amount. That's when I said, no, we better move. I don't want you anymore because I can see myself killing you. And I don't want to go to jail. A 1998 study by the National Library of Medicine estimated that 34 million infectious window period donations were entering the blood supply at the South African National Blood Service. Selective use of donation based on donor race ethnicity reduced this risk to 26 million donations, but this was deemed unethical. I had a child while I'm trying to live my life in that after the, the abuse in 1999 okay. that child i was pregnant uh, uh, during the pregnancy there was no sign of, of of being positive or hiv positive because that's when they can detect that you're positive now after my child was born i had a blood transfusion now during that blood transfusion unfortunately it was contaminated and i became more angry now Remember that I've got, I'm from the another anger to this anger. Now I'm HIV positive. How do I deal with this? How do I tell my kids that, you know, that my child didn't die of HIV positive, but he died of complications or with birth. I got blood transfusion while, you know, in the, in the situation, the blood was contaminated. Now I have to deal with it. The government put me through under the study of, you know, containing me. That's when I, I try to read and understand and be under the influence of, of, of understanding the, the HIV and AIDS. How can I live better with it? But I was very angry. The National Health Act of 2003, which governs blood transfusions in South Africa, stipulates that medical practitioners have the following responsibilities. Transfusing blood only when it is medically indicated warning patients of the potential risks inherent in blood transfusions and informing them of the available alternatives, obtaining and documenting the patient's informed consent correctly, identifying the patient and units of blood to be transfused, ensuring that appropriate contability tests have been performed, ensuring that the blood has been correctly handled prior to and during transfusion, ensuring that the blood has not passed its expiry date, 
permitting responsible persons to administer blood to the patient, observing and monitoring the patient at the commencement of and during the transfusion. Unfortunately, these were not followed in Grace's case, and taking legal action also proved fruitless. I did try that, but unfortunately it's not happening and it won't happen for anybody at any time. Government institute, they will protect each other like nobody's business. I don't know if they've got a platform right now where you can report those issues, but it's not working as they are talking. They can be a good system in place, but they're not functional. Grace had to accept what had happened and embarked on a quest to healing. I had to accept and find my own way of dealing with this and, you know, just say, I'm okay. If it's, it's God who wants me to be like this, at times you, you will overlook that the word of God will say, I'll give you something that it's not beyond your control. So that's when I started to say, let me take control of my life. That's when I took control of my life and started living with it. And I'm HIV positively active and being an activist of HIV and AIDS person. I've made peace with my mom. At one stage, we had a, a woman-to-woman talk, and then I said, I think you knew and you didn't want to accept, and you didn't want to. Sometimes as a parent, you, you run away from your responsibilities of satisfying your men. So I was a sacrifice. And because it's not my father, that's why I sacrificed a lot. And my mother knew about it, so it was one time we had that woman-to-woman -woman talk, and she apologized. Healing is a process. It doesn't take, it. some people takes one day, some people takes one month, something. It takes 10 years. Every day it's a healing process. There are some triggers in each and everything that you do. I'm healed because I'm working as an activist of GBV. I'm healed, I'm an activist of, of HIV and AIDS. I'm healed. I'm a communication manager for an organization that I work with. So those are the things that you say you have healed because when you talk about them, you can advise better with your understanding, with what you know best, with the policies that are in place, with the implementation of each and everything. We had the ABC, we had the nine sectors of HIV and AIDS. I can advise a person that you are in the stage, you can move from the stage to the stage with an understanding of that. So as an ambassador of, of all that, I think I'm healing daily. And healing, it doesn't take one day, it doesn't take two days, but it takes forever. Because those triggers, you won't know when they come, but when they come, they trigger you to be something else. But healing is a process. Thank you for listening. You can visit sabcnews.com or at SABC News on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for the latest episode of In First Person. For SABC Digital News, I'm Tabi Kuiji.